We are so blessed to be here this morning uh, and we are committing ourselves to the Lord. Did I pray earlier? Yeah. Did? That's all right. I'll <laughs> 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 make sure I have. <laughs> Mind you, another wee touch wouldn't do any harm. <laughs> God, I know he wants to speak every week, but I really believe that he wants to do something very special today, and I don't really know uh, what's going on, obviously, in all of your hearts and lives, I don't know, but I really sense that God wants you to know uh, just that he loves you, no matter what's going on in your life. We're going to continue with the story of David, and if you remember the week before last, we saw that, that he had had an encounter with Saul, and he had told Saul that he was feeling like a flea or a partridge. And if you remember, we looked at how a partridge uh, really ran instead of flying, exhausted itself, so that young boys even could take sticks and could kill it. And how this was a picture that very clearly that David had been having in his thinking. He'd been seeing himself as vulnerable as a partridge. That is, as Saul chased him, and, and pursued him relentlessly, that David was beginning to feel like a bit like he talked about himself in another place. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He saw himself like a flea or a dead dog or a partridge. He saw himself as, as being very vulnerable. And I wonder today what you see yourself like. What, what, how do you picture yourself? Do you see yourself as someone that is just downtrodden and there's no hope for? Or do you see yourself the way God sees you? Do you know that he loves you, that he has given his life to save you? If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus as your saviour, let this be the day. Let this be the day where you invite him to come in to be your saviour. I mean, it's a, it's a covenant relationship. It's like saying, it's like marriage. It's like saying, I do. It's covenant. It's forever. It's far stronger than marriage. It's an everlasting covenant. And God's inviting you to come into relationship with him this morning. And he's saying, come. Come unto me. All of you that are laboring and working and striving and stressing. Come to me and I'll give you the rest you need. Come to me and I will show you the path of life. Come to me and if you don't know me, I will wash you clean. I will forgive you. I will take you in my arms and you will be my child. And I will be your father. It's a beautiful, wonderful relationship. And so as we start this morning, we see that David had begun this wrong thinking. How many of us, even those of us who do know Jesus, are guilty of wrong thinking? How many of us listen to the lies of the enemy and begin to think and rehearse in our mind what the enemy's telling us? David should have known. God had promised him, had anointed him even with oil, had sent Samuel the prophet to go and anoint him with oil and to declare that he would one day be king. But how many of you know that the promises that God give us, gives us aren't always fulfilled instantaneously? How many of us know that sometimes and most times that God works things out in our lives as we wait on him and we trust him? He builds up trust in the waiting. And there's not, salvation is instantaneous, but the working out of that salvation and the changes that God wants to make in my life and in your life, those are ongoing and progressive and beautiful and wonderful and to be embraced because they're always for our good. He's a God who always works for our good. 
And so David had listened to the lies of the enemy and he had begun to think negatively about his future. He had begun to stop trusting God with his future. Let's just read and we get a little look into his thoughts as we read from 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. But David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting for me in Israelite territory and I will finally be safe. How often have you or I thought to ourselves, someday this thing is just going to get me. Someday this circumstance, someday this thing that I'm praying about, this problem, someday it's just going to get me. How many of us can witness to that, that at times we've been overwhelmed and overcome by, by the, the circumstances of life that we actually get to the point where we just feel a bit like David, where we say, there's nothing better for me than taking things into my own hands. How many times have we been, we've actually stopped trusting God and we've started to act out ourselves and take our own initiative and begin to get on with it and do our own thing because somehow we mightn't actually admit it, but somewhere deep in the recesses of our hearts and in our minds, we've stopped trusting God. We've actually decided we're going to, we're, we'll have to sort this. God's not sorting it, so I'll have to sort it. And I think a lot of us have done that and maybe continue to do it. And you see, the title that I put for today's talk was The Power of What You Believe. I really felt early on in the week that God gave me this title. I changed it to another title. But I went back to this one because I just felt it was really powerful for me to remind you of the power in what you actually believe. And you see, what you start to think and how you start to speak will become what you actually believe. And the enemy is an expert at dropping negative thinking into your brain. He wants you to think negatively so that you begin to speak negatively. He wants you to believe his lies that God cannot be trusted. He wants you to believe his lies that God is not sorting out this thing for you and you're going to have to do it yourself. He wants you to start thinking that and then he wants you to start speaking that out. And then he wants that to drop right down into your system where you actually believe that. And then that leads to action, where then we begin to actually take matters into our own hands. David said, the best thing I can do was to move. He, he, he'd made a decision because of what he was thinking and what he was saying. Proverbs 18.21, I so often quote this verse. It's life and death, or death and life, I think it actually is it's written. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And it's so important what we speak. And another verse in Proverbs 23 and 7 says, as a man or a woman thinks, that's the way they are. And so our thoughts and our words, we need to be really, really careful. You see, David had somewhere along the line, he had stopped believing. Somewhere along the line, he, he had become so vulnerable with all the negative things that Saul was doing, all the emotional turmoil that he was under because Saul was, was after him, that he actually started to believe the lie. You see, the thing is that the enemy is relentless 
And you and I need to make no mistake about it, the enemy is after you. He is relentless. But we do not have to take his lies. We do not have to believe his lies. I'm not sure what that noise is outside somewhere. They're working. Okay. <laughs> you see, if you have a true image of who you are in Christ, you're going to think differently about yourself. If you know that in Christ you are perfect and acceptable, if you know that in Christ God the Father looks at you and you are perfectly clean, you're forgiven, you are beautiful in God's eyes, when you begin to receive that and, and bring your dirt to him and ask him to keep washing you clean so that you walk in Christ, Listen, we can begin to think differently about ourselves. We can have a different self-image. And that's what God wants. He wants you to know who you really are in Christ. Before Christmas, I was sharing with the ladies in the prayer meeting earlier, before Christmas, I really felt like God spoke to me and said, start walking in your true authority. You know, we're so, we, we listen to all this condemnation. We listen to the reproach of the enemy. We listen to the lies. We listen to the stuff. And you see, the reason we listen to it is because a lot of the time it's true. We have slipped. We have made mistakes. We have let God down. But the thing is that when we come and we bring all before the Lord and say, I'm sorry, Lord, wash me clean, we are made pure and perfect again. And we can walk and live like that on a daily basis. And when we do that, we begin to rise up on our true authority and we begin to realise that we have been given authority to actually stand up and not only pray for ourselves, but pray for others and stand in the gap. And that's what we're looking to do in this group of women. We're longing to see people entering the kingdom, knowing who they are in Christ and rising up like a mighty army that we can go out of here like a mighty army across this land and we can be impacting the people around us with the good news that Jesus died to set us free to be mighty women of God. Isn't that the truth? And that's what I believe God wants to say to us today. You see, Satan had been pouring in lies and using the circumstances of David's life to, to make him believe that he was done for, that there was no hope for him. Now the problem was, when David decided he was going to take off and do his own thing, the problem was it wasn't just David that was going to take a step back. He was going to actually influence 600 men to go with him, along with those men's wives and children. And I want to say this today, that if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour, and I believe the majority of you do, and if you don't, please come up here afterwards. We just couldn't wait to tell you about him and to introduce you that you might take that step of faith to belong to Jesus Christ and to be his girl. He wants you so badly. But if you know him, I want to tell you today that if you take a backward step and you start to listen to the lies of the enemy, you're probably not going to just do it on your own. You're probably going to influence people around you and you're going to influence others to take a backward step. And you see, David took a backward step and let's look at what he did. Let's just look at the next verses here. So David took his 600 men, this is 1 Samuel 27, verse 2, and he went over and joined Achish. Am I hearing right? This is the Philistine that he went to in chapter 21. Do you remember he ran to the Philistines before? Do you remember what happened before? 
He was so frightened because they were about to kill him because they all looked at him and said, are you not the one that, that, that the people sang, uh, uh, sang a song about you saying that Saul had killed his, his thousands but David had killed his ten thousands? Do you remember that story? How he had gone to the Philistines before and actually he was, became so afraid he had to pretend that he was crazy, that he had lost his mind and actually let the spittle come out of his mouth. This was back to the place of where he had shamed himself. And he's taking a backward step and he's going back to the same Philistine Lord, back to the same place. He's going back to the place of his shame. You see, when we take a step away from God, listen ladies, when we take a backward step, you know what we usually do? We usually go back into old shame, old reproach, and a place where we've been before. And you know what? God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to go more into more glory. He doesn't want us to go back and take a step into shame. And so it says that he went to uh, Kish, the king of Gath. And it says, David and his men and their families settled there. And David brought his two wives along with him, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, Nabal's widow from Carmel. Word soon reached Saul that David had fled to Gath. So Saul stopped hunting for him. Now, what I tell you, what David said was true in one sense, because he was, he was running away from the situation, he was taking a backward step, he was, he was taking matters into his own hand, because he believed that if he did that, that Saul would stop chasing him. And that's, that's true. Saul did stop chasing him. But you know what? This was not going to solve his problems. Initially, it looked like it might, but you know what? When we take a backward step from God, you know what happens? We might think we've solved the problem now. We're sorted. Took me to sort it out. We might start to think that. But you know what? When we take a step back from God, things start to get more complicated. Things go from bad to worse. Because God's way is the best way. And Samuel, David thought that he was being smart and he thought that he was going the right direction, but he was going the wrong direction. It says in verse 5, One day David said to Achish, the king of Gath, If it's all right with you, we'd rather live in one of the country towns instead of here in the royal city. So Achish gave him the town of Ziklag, which belongs to the king of blah, blah, blah. Verse 8, David and his men spent their time during this time that they were going to live in this town called Ziklag. Here's how they spent their time. Verse 8, David and his men spent their time raiding all of these Philistines, the Geruzites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites, people who had lived near Shur, etc., etc. Verse 9, David did not leave one person alive in the villages that he attacked. He took the sheep, goats, cattle, etc. Verse 19, whenever he, um, uh, whenever he returned to the king, here's what Achish said to him. Where did you make your raid today? Achish would ask. Verse 10, and David would reply, against the south of Judah, against Israel. Do you see where, where he suddenly slipped to? He has slipped away from God, he's taken a backward step, and now he's living in this, he settled himself with the Philistines, with the enemies of God, with the world. He settled himself in this town called Ziglag. I remember speaking about this years ago, and I entitled it, Slipping into Ziglag. And that's exactly what happened. You know, when you take a backward step, when you stop trusting God, I can tell you, you start slipping. 
You will start to slide. The moment you stop trusting God, your mood will change. You find yourself getting a bit more anxious. You begin to, you, you don't know his comfort. You don't know his joy. And you'll slip and you'll start trying to work it out for yourself. And before you know, you're going to be settled with the world and you're going to have a different mindset to believers. And in actual fact, you're going to take up the cause of the world instead of the cause of Christ. That's what Satan does. That's why he, he works so cleverly to try and get us to think wrong and to stop trusting God. That's what he did with Eve in the garden. He told her God couldn't be trusted, basically. And once we start tr- stop trusting him, we go into this slipping uh, situation. And so he was slipping in to Ziglag. And Ziglag, the name Ziglag, actually means fortress or measure pressed down. I wrote in your notes that our worldly logic sometimes appears successful. But as we shall see, long term, it just leads to more complicated problems. David settled down in enemy territory. He settled down in Ziglag. He settled down in a place called Ziglag, which means fortress or measure pressed down. You see, Ziglag means fortress, but this was a false fortress. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. You see, how often in the Psalms, David wrote and said, the Lord is my fortress. He, he should have known better. He knew that there was no fortress, fortress or refuge in this life apart from Christ, apart from God. But he went to this place called Ziglag and this became a false refuge or a false fortress. And uh, the, the, the name means fortress or measure pressed down. You see, spiritually speaking, I'm just reading from your notes, Ziglag is always a false fortress or a refuge, a false refuge, which presses us down and keeps us in disobedience to God. It's a place of compromise which leads to pretense about our relationship with God. It's a place where we are no longer able to be God's witnesses. What was happening in this town? Well, we've just read it. David had moved into this town with all his with two wives and all, the, all his men and all of their wives. And during the day, they would leave the family at home and David and his men would go out and they would go down to all the Philistine towns in the area and they would go in and they would raid them and destroy everything, not leave any clue that they'd been there. And then they would go back to the Philistines, back to the king, Achish, and when the king said, where were you today? They would say, oh, we're out fighting the Israelites. Now, do you see the slide? He slipped from a place of trusting into a place of, of not trusting. Then he slipped from there to settle in with a worldly crowd of people who didn't know God, ungodly people. And then he slipped into living a double lifestyle, into telling lies. And, and then he's actually, he's actually now declaring that he's fighting against his own people. He is losing his testimony. That's the old-fashioned way. Your testimony is your story, your witness for God. Acts chapter 1 uh, speaks about, about the witness that God wants us to be in this earth. You're to carry the light. You're, on Sunday night here we were talking about carrying the light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're meant to be a witness on this earth. And once we start living a double life, telling lies and getting in with worldly values... We lose our witness. 
And I don't know about you, but that is one of the worst places to be as a believer. I remember as a young girl in my 20s, somebody telling me, just by the way that I was living at that particular time, somebody outrightly telling me they didn't think I was a Christian because of the way I was living. And you know, it cut me to the bone. I remember going in and closing the door behind me and weeping. Because it struck me, God, I have let you down. And how often we do that? How often we let God down because of the way that we live? And you see, David was going to live in Ziglag for one year and four months. Let's read on. So verse 6, so Achish gave him the town of Ziglag. Verse 8, David and his men spent their time raiding. Right on down to, um, let's look a bit further down to um, verse 12. Achish believed David and thought to himself, by now the people of Israel must hate David bitterly. Now he will have to stay here and serve me forever. Do you know that's what the enemy speaks over your life? When you take this, this, the step backward, when you start into a false refuge, what's a false refuge or a false fortress? A relationship that's not right before God. Putting something as an idol in front of you. Putting all your eggs into one basket. Choosing to rely on your, what you have and, and your, your finances rather than trusting God. It can be any number of things. It can be looking for a refuge in alcohol or drugs or medication. It can be looking for some kind of protection. Or refuge is just protection. It's a safe place. It's looking for a safe place in the wrong place. It's putting something else in front of God. And so when we do that, when we do that, we begin to live that double life. And we begin to lose our testimony. We begin to lose the witness, the power to witness. Because we're just like everybody else and we're believing the same set of values and the enemy is gloating because he now thinks, now I've got her. Now I've got her. She'll not get out of this because she's identifying herself with the world. I've trapped her. Now I can hold on to her now. That's what he wants to do because he's afraid of your life being given over to God. He's afraid of you. He knows if you're saved, he can't lose your soul. But you can lose the power and the witness of your life. You can, you can live and go out in disgrace at the end of your life. And let God's name down and have to have that encounter with Jesus. But do you know what? God wants you to have a life that's worth living. He wants you to have a life that's full of the joy of intimacy with him. Of walking with him every day, every moment. God wants you to know that he is the one who satisfies, that he is your fortress, that he is the one who can lead you into the good plans and the destiny that he has for you. And you see, I wrote in your notes, eventually these lies and all of this propaganda was going to take its toll on David. Listen, you might think you can keep going and live a double life, but if you belong to Jesus, do you know what? He'll not let go of you. If you belong to Jesus, it'll eventually take its toll and something will happen. Because God won't let you go. God will work on you and work on you to try and bring you back. But David had slipped into compromise. Let's just look at verse 20, chapter 28, verse 1. About that time the Philistines must, mustered their armies for another war with Israel. And King Achish told David, You and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Now, who could have thought that a bit of compromise would end up that David would be expected to actually walk and fight for the Philistines? Remember, the giant, he was a Philistine, right? He had taken the giant down, and here he is, and the, 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 the people of the giant were expecting him to go out and fight. Why? 
because he had compromised, because he had he'd fallen into this double lifestyle. Very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. Do you see how even in his attitude he's become arrogant? He's, he's speaking out of a place where it sounds as though he really has turned over to the other side. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. I tell you, the enemy had a plan for David and it wasn't to walk into the destiny that God had for him. And I'm telling you, ladies, that the enemy has a plan for you and he doesn't want you to walk into your spiritual destiny. He doesn't want you to know the joy of being able to pray with individuals and being able to be a witness everywhere you go. He doesn't want you to know the thrill of leading someone to Christ. He doesn't want you to know the thrill of walking in unison and in oneness with the God of creation. He doesn't want you to know the joy of walking in agreement with heaven. We were praying about that this morning in the prayer room. God wants us to be in agreement with heaven and with each other, that we can be this mighty army of women. He doesn't want us marching with the armies of the world, with Satan's armies. Satan wants to pull you off track just the way he was pulling David off track. But you know, the thing was that this king, this Philistine king called Achish, he was totally deceived. Like David was totally deceiving him. And you know, sometimes whenever we fall away and we take a backward step and we just lose our witness and we just become like everybody else around us, you know, we can actually deceive people that everything's okay. I mean, David was acting as if everything was okay. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you were sick to your stomach because you knew things weren't right in your life? But actually you were, you were bluffing. You were, everything's okay, everything's just fine. God does not want us to bluff. He does not want us to pretend that everything's okay. God wants you to be real. And it's only by being real that God can deal with stuff. And so David, uh, uh, David was living this life of compromise. He was, he, he, this king really believed that David was fighting against Israel. But all the time David was fighting against the Philistines. But it was undercover. And you see, when you're out of step with God, if you, if you, you know the old-fashioned word backslide? It's sliding backwards. Whenever you slide backwards away from God, you know, your heart might still be towards God, but your lifestyle is not. And, and this is what was happening here. His, David's lifestyle was screaming all the wrong things, but his heart, there's a guy called Mike Bickle, he wrote a book called After God's Own Heart, and he suggests that at this particular time that David was probably living with terrible tension inside of him because he was struck he was stuck in compromise, yet he still loved God. I mean, make no mistake about it, David loved God. Let me read to you from uh, Psalm 18. Just uh, one of the Psalms that David wrote that give us a little glimpse into his heart. He says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my saviour. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me. He is my place of safety. He, in other words, he's my refuge. He's my fortress. David said, I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The, the ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. David knew what it was to get himself entangled in bad situations. Hang on till I just get this Bible over here. I want to read you something else. 
I wondered this week, there's a psalm that I read this week that David wrote, and I actually wondered, could it have been that David might have been thinking this or writing this during this time? Here's what he said. Psalm 25, verse 16, from the New Living Translation. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me, rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. I believe, David, this was a, a reflection of David's heart. I know what it's like. I know I told my story last week, but there was loads of pockets in my story, times where I took wrong steps. And, you know, I just really feel it's important for me to say that to you. You know, Joy and Jerry and I met together. We meet most Friday mornings to pray. And we were talking and sharing and praying last Friday morning. And we were just saying how in all of our lives there are places and things that happened where we, we did slip. And you know, the last thing that we want for you to think is that we have got it all together, that we are perfect. You know, we, we have just gone hunk. Listen, everyone, we're all the same. We're all made of the same material. We all have let God down. We've all gone off at tangents. But you know what we concluded? We concluded that every moment we took a wrong turn, that every time we got ourselves into a mess, that God was right there. And that God was taking us through it and God was taking it out of it. He was taking us out of it and God was bringing us through into our destiny. Do you know all we need to do is to turn and ask him to do it? And he is so faithful to do it. And so during this time, I have no doubt that David's heart was breaking. I have no doubt that when he realised that he was expected to fight with the Philistines against Israel, that would be like, that would be like someone saying to you, you've got to go out and start fighting against the gospel. You've got to go out and start bad-mouthing the gospel. That's what that was like. It was like somebody saying, now, you know, you've been in the world long enough and, and, you know, you're one of us now, so let's just start standing up against these Christians and telling them they're a load of nonsense, they're not preaching the truth at all. That's actually what he was being asked to do, to stand against what he knew was right. You see, he, he loved God. And no doubt he loved God's word. He loved God's law. He wrote about it, how he loved it. But the way that he was living was making a disgrace of it. And it's possible for us to do that. It's possible for the way that we live to actually bring dishonour to God. As I've written in your notes, as believers we want to promote God's word, yet it is possible to live in such a way as to deny God's word. David had agreed to fight with Achish. He even sounded happy to do it. But when the other Philistine lords arrived to inspect the troops, let's see what happened. Let's continue to read this. In chapter 29, verse 1. I need to get back here to hang a wee second. I just lost my place. Yes, first. Yeah, here we are. Okay, the entire Philistine army now mobilized and the Israelites camping at the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands, David and his men marched with King Achish. I'd love you to get a picture of this. I like to visualise things. And I can see all these rows and rows of thousands of all of these Philistines. And they're all their armour on them. And they're all going up in rank with all their leaders. And right at the back, there's wee, there's wee David right at the back. And he's standing beside this, this king of Gath. 
This man that had previously chased him out of his territory, this man that had scared the wits out of him before because he said, Are you not the one that you not the one that they sung the song about? About how you Saul had killed so many of us, but you'd kill far, far more. You see, the first time that David had been with the king of Gath, the song had got him into trouble and he had to run. But just watch how God uses the song to get him out of trouble. Just watch what God can do whenever David's really up against it. Whenever David is in this trap that he has allowed himself to step into the trap of the enemy. Just listen to what God does and how he does it. So here's all these Philistine lords and they're all standing up and the see wee David marching up alongside the king of Gath. Just listen to what they say. It says, Achish told them, this is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years and I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into battle with us. What if he turns against us in battle and becomes our adversary? Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same, David, about whom the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David has ten thousands. So Achish finally summoned David and said to him, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. Do you see how, do you see how perfectly he had deceived this man? And, and Achish said, I think you should go with me into battle, for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day that you arrived until today. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quickly. What have I done? Just watch the arrogance of David. What have I done to deserve this treatment, David demanded? What have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. He had totally deceived him. Achish thought, David, I think you're wonderful. But the rest of these guys say you have to go back. You know what? These Philistines thought that they were stopping David going into battle with them. But you know what? It wasn't them. It was God that was stopping David from going into battle against the, his own people, against the Israelites. Do you know what? There are times in our lives when we would be going in one direction and heading straight into a hellish snare of the enemy. But you know what? So often God in his grace uses something we'd never dream of. In this case, the very thing, God used the very thing that got David, got David into trouble on the first encounter with Gath, when they said, they're singing the songs about you, we need to watch you, and David was so scared he had to run. This time, God uses these songs to actually get David off the hook. And so here's David, and he was at the point of having to go and march against God's own people with these Philistines. And God has worked it around. God has set him free. God has made a way of escape. I love 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where it says that at times, whenever we are in temptation, and we get ourselves into a trap, that God can make a way of escape. You know what? God is such a mighty, wonderful God. And so here we go. God has set him free. And instead of going to war with the Philistines, we see that he is now marching home to Ziglag, and he's heading home with his men. And I believe that as he went, I believe that God did this. Do you know why? 
because I believe that no matter what kind of a false front we put on, you know, we can be we can be upbeat with each other. Oh, we're fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Well, I'm not away from God. I'm doing absolutely fine. We can put on a false front to each other, but you know what? God sees the cry of your heart. And I went through a, a season in my early twenties where I was living a kind of a double li- lifestyle, not in any serious way. But you know, it doesn't. This story is a very serious story. But you know what? It's in the ordinary ups and downs. God knows if our hearts are faithful to Him or not. God knows if our lives are authentic or not. And I remember my, there was a season for perhaps a year or two where I was kind of trying to live one way, like with worldly stuff, and, 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 and at the same time, I'll tell you something, I remember coming in from places that maybe I shouldn't have been, with people maybe that wouldn't have been really lifting me or drawing me towards Christ, but I can remember coming in and weeping before God, because you know what? Whenever you, whenever you belong to Christ, you love him. And you might put on a front and you might even bluff yourself for a while. But eventually, eventually, you know what? It begins to get to you. And God sees the truth. There are hearts long. You know what? If you've tasted of Christ, nothing else will ever satisfy you. You can try it all. But listen, it will not satisfy you. Nothing in this world will satisfy you except walking in harmony and in fellowship and in love with the one who died for you. There's no other lifestyle that's going to actually satisfy you or bring you joy. And, you know, we can, we can slip a certain amount and, and bluff ourselves that we're doing okay and we're, we're going to get through just fine. But you know what? We're not. We're going to end up more complicated. We're going to end up missing opportunities. We're going to end up losing our witness. We're going to end up being in a place where God doesn't want us to be. But you know what? God, in all his grace and mercy, whenever, we have, whenever he sees our hearts and he sees that cry in our hearts, you know what? So often he rescues us. So often he rescues us through situations and things that happen that we would never, ever imagine that he could use to take us out of the snare of the enemy. How many of you here can say that God has taken you out of the snare of the enemy? I put my hand up. Time and time again, he has delivered me when I was foolish to make a wrong choice, but my heart was crying out, help Help me, God. And you know what? He just comes right in there. And that's exactly what he does. What he does. I wrote in your notes, God could see the true cry of David's heart. Because despite his arrogant behaviour, David still loved God. And he knew that God still loved him. He knew what we need to know. That God loves us even when we fail him. That God's love does not depend on our performance, but on his character. 2 Timothy 2 and 13 says that even whenever we are unfaithful, that he is faithful because he cannot change who he is. Listen, he's a faithful God. He will not let us down. I believe that David's heart was breaking and God knew that and God in his love and mercy had stepped in to get him out of the claws of these Philistines and send him packing on the way home to Ziglag. But here's the thing. Let's just read the first couple of verses in chapter 30. Three days later, so this is David marching towards Ziglag with all his men. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid from the Negev and Ziglag, and they had crossed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Let me just give you the picture. David's had this massive experience where he was on the verge of having to go and fight against his own people. This, this place where 
He could have stepped over the edge and never have been able to get back again. But God stopped him from doing that. And here he is with his men, they're marching back to Ziglag, and they're getting near to Ziglag, somewhere up on the, I, my imagination's running a bit wide here, but you can bear with me. Somewhere up on the horizon, I see this column of smoke going up. And David said, what's that? Where's that voice? And some of his men said, that looks in the direction of Ziglag. Could that be our town? What's happened? What's happened? What's happened to our wives and children? Can you just imagine? The, the, the fear rising and the clothes are probably quickening their pace and trying to get there as quick as they can. When they arrive, guess what? Ziglag is burned. It's burnt up. You see, David, for one year and four months, had put all his energies into Ziglag. He put all of it, it, was a false, it was a false place. He was on his way back to Ziglag, to the very place that had enabled him to live a false life. It was the very place that was a false fortress. He was heading back to the false fortress. He was heading back to the lies, back to the place that had empowered him to live a life that wasn't for God, a place where he lost his witness and lost his testimony. And on the way back, it's all burnt up. Do you know what? When we live for the world or we allow the enemy to bring us into places we shouldn't be, do you know what we can expect? We can expect it to go up in smoke because nothing is going to last. And you know, you can, I've given you a reference there where you can look and see that there's going to be a judgment day and stuff like that whenever it's just wasted time it's that's why satan spends so much effort to get us off 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 the off the way to, to try and bring us into these false fortresses these false places where we're, where we're pressed down and we're actually shaped you know when you press down you shape something satan wants to shape you into the shape of the world so that nobody will ever know any, any difference. So nobody will see the Christ in you. He wants to conform you to the world instead of conforming and transforming you to be like Christ. Satan is very diligent about this, ladies. He is very determined to spoil your witness. He does not want you to blossom and bloom and be the woman that God has always planned for you to be. And he wants to take you off track and take you in detours. And I've been in quite a few detours, I can tell you, in my life. But you know what? With God's help, I plan that there'll be no more detour. I'm saying, God, forgive me. Do you know what? A detour can be done the day. We can have little daily detours. I'm praying, Lord, help me not to have daily detours. Help me every day to walk arm in arm with you. This morning in the prayer room, we were praying, and I just had this sudden picture of, you know the three-legged race? Yeah. I just had that picture, Lord, you just tie my foot to yours. Let me just walk with you every day. When you stop, help me to stop. When you move on, help me to move on. That's what they did at the ark, you know. I love the story of Joseph because it's about, it's about suffering. It's about a man who was taken roughly by the enemy and put into a foreign place. But, you know, God was with him all the way. And I love the end of the, of the, of the, of, of the story of Joseph where he said, God meant it for, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's what our song said, didn't it, earlier? All the rubbish in your life and in mine, Satan meant it for evil, ladies. But God means it for good because God can turn around. And you know what? God was going to turn things around for David. God can bring beauty out of ashes. Isaiah 61 tells us that. He can bring beauty out of ashes, even the ashes of Ziglag. It was all burnt up. And you know, not only that, but their wives were taken captive. Do you know that our sin, when we take these detours, they affect the ones we love? It's not just about us. It's about the people around us. 
And next week we're going to see what God did with us. We're going to see how God changed this whole situation. God is such a mighty, beautiful, wonderful God. And God can change things around for us. God can get us back on track. And God wants you and I to be the woman that he has always planned for us to be. He doesn't want us to live in zigzag. He doesn't want us to have false fortresses. He doesn't want us to be pressed down and moulded into the shape of everyone else around us. He made you different. And he wants you to walk in a different way to everybody else. Because you are unique to him. And he has given you unique gifts. And he's given you unique opportunities. You have a unique life. Nobody will ever live the life that you have again. Your life is unique. This is, a, this is your place now to live this life out in full and to be ready for what God has planned for you up ahead. Because I'll tell you, there's stuff for us to do up there, but this is the training ground. And God wants to give us assignments here and now, but you know what? They're all preparation for the assignments up there because we're going to be sent out across, I believe, across the, 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 the entire world beyond the world through space and what's beyond there we don't even know scientists don't even know what's beyond there they can't come to the end of it because when god spoke it continued they tell us now the scientists tell us that the word is continuing it's going on it's continuing to creation is going on and on because god never said stop it's still they tell us that it's still developing out there it's going out and out and out but we have we need to realize that we have eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see these truths and not to allow the enemy to just cover us over and hypnotize us. Jungle book all over again. You know, what did you call the wee boy? When the snake came, boy cub, go to sleep. Just get to sleep. He wants to put us over. He wants to put us out. He wants us to stop realizing that he has a plan for us in this planet and we'll never be satisfied and we'll never know the joy of walking with him in fullness unless we walk in step with him. Stop taking the detours. Even on a daily basis, who wants to take a detour? Let's start walking with him and let's start understanding that if, if you have detoured, maybe just a little, just ask the Lord and he'll bring you right back in again. He'll just wash you clean again. And if you've taken a big detour, You've got to know that God can work it for good. You've got to know that God can bring beauty out of ashes. Let me read just this last paragraph to you. Have you failed God? Have you even blatantly disobeyed him? Have you slipped into unbelief? Perhaps you're in that position now. If so, and you truly belong to the Lord, you need to know that he will give you every chance to repent. But if you don't, he will discipline you. And that can be painful. I have known God's discipline. But you know what? I'm so thankful for his discipline. Hebrews 12 verses 5 to 7 say he only disciplines those who really belong to him. It's proof that you're his child. It's better to get things sorted now, today. Remember, if you turn to God, he can give you beauty out of ashes. Even the ashes of Ziglag. He can, make, he can still make a way for you to be his witness on the earth. He can still bring you into your spiritual destiny, even when it looks like you've blown it. I just want to say this. From the moment that David believed the lies of the enemy, he began to slip. He slipped into discouragement. From discouragement, he slipped into unbelief. From unbelief, he slipped into a false refuge. And from there he slipped into a double lifestyle of lies and pretense. 
And then he slipped further into losing his testimony, losing his witness before the people around him. And only one person could turn this around for David. Who is that person? Jesus Christ. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I would love today that if you've just even slipped a little bit, because I'll tell you, I'm constantly saying, Lord, and you know what, we do let him down and we do slip. Of course we do because we're, we're human. But we can live close because we can get daily cleansing. When we bring things into the light, I tell you, we can have fellowship one with, the, one with each other, but we can also have fellowship with him. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And you know what? What's more? I believe with all my heart, that means it cleanses us from the power of sin to hurt us and to harm us. From the power that sin would have over us to keep us trapped. His blood's enough to set us free. His blood is enough to fill us with his joy and with his purpose and to live a life for him. I pray today, if there's anyone here who don't know Jesus, I would love that you would find him. I would love this to become a birthing place. A place where we would see people being birthed into the kingdom. A place where we would see those of you who know the Lord and really want to live for him, we would see you getting spiritually pregnant. Where you've been walking around here with a big spiritual bump. Thank you, Jerry. Ready to deliver for God. Wouldn't that be some story? A big army full of spiritual women ready to deliver what God has birthed into us. There's Roberta at the back, midwife. We need to be midwives, helping each other to get these babies out, to see what God's going to do. Listen, together, we're, we're part of his body. We belong to him, and we're part, we belong to each other. We're part of his body. Together, we can do so much more than we can on our own. Let's start this journey. Those of you who need prayer, please come up and let us pray for you. We've got a good prayer team up here. Come up and let's get life over each other and believe that God can do more exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could even ask or think. For his glory let us be. Father, I just thank you for your word and I pray right now, Lord, that you would do business. I pray even in the quietness as we take a moment or two, Lord, for you to speak to individuals. I just want to ask those two questions again. What has God said to you today? What's he speaking to you about right now? And what are you going to do about that? Not next week or next year, but what are you going to do about that right now for the rest of this week? Just as Maureen was speaking this morning, God just gave me a picture. I believe it's for one or maybe more than one lady this morning. And it was a picture of an old um, biscuit box, you know, like an old tin. I don't know, years ago we used to use them just for storing our treasures in and bits and pieces and things that we wanted to keep. It was a safe place. Um, and I just felt this morning that God said, yeah, that for some people, and they keep going back to that old box, and in that box there's shame and there's mistakes of the past. And there's guilt and there's broken areas of your life and you have them hidden in that old box and that and I just sensed that the Lord was saying 
that to allow them, every time you go back, you allow them just to take root in your life again. You know, and those are the compromises and the things that we heard about this morning. And we just act as if everything's okay, but we know that it's not because we keep going back to those things. And I just sensed in the spirit that God says, this morning is the morning when you need to clear those things out of the box once and for all. It's time to destroy it. It's time to allow God to set you free from those things that keep trying to turn you down and keep trying to stop you from being the woman that God wants you to be. And actually just wrote down broken places God uses to become birthing places. And just as Moin finished this morning even about that new birth and about birthing, I think that's just what God wants to do in someone's life this morning. It's time to get rid of that old tin box and all the rubbish that's in it that you keep looking back on. And he wants to take all that things and all those broken things and to begin to birth something new in your life this morning. Really witness of that word, thank you, Bess. Really witness of that. And um, we're going to sing a song now, and it's about freedom, it's about God's amazing grace and how he wants to take those chains off us, those things that would try to hold us back. And it really is time, I believe, to, um, to know who we are in Christ. We get back to him again and we recognise he's paid the price, that we can be free of that shame. And just as Beth was sharing that word, I just kept thinking of the promise um, in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 45, is it? where it says, uh, Behold, I do a new thing, says the Lord. Do you not see it? Behold, it's already springing forth. And we got that word in the prayer room earlier. And I do believe that God is ready to do this new thing. And perhaps in some of you has already begun to start it. But he wants you to recognise it and get into agreement with him and allow him to do the new things that he wants to do. But you know what? If you're going to go forward into something new, you've got to let go of the old. You've got to let go of the shame and stop going back into it. You've got to step forward into the new and you've got to constantly be getting that washing and that. It takes a little, it's a process to step into your fresh new identity, but the Lord is there to walk you into it and walk you right through into your destiny. I believe this morning is an important morning for many of you. And there's a choice to be made. Are you going to continue with the status quo and keep going back to the old biscuit box and back to the lies and, and, and see yourself like that flea or that partridge or that dead dog. That's not who you are. You're a mighty woman in Christ. Yeah. He died that you could rise up to be that woman that he has called you to be and bring you into the destiny that he has prepared for you. You know, he, he has paid the ultimate sacrifice that we could have freedom so that our chains could be taken off and we could live a life for him. And that we could actually fulfill the purpose that he ever created a man and a woman for. To be like Christ. To show what God looks like to the world. This is what we're called to. And I believe this morning that God really means business. And if, if there's something that you just need sorted, please come up. We've got a really good prayer team here. We pray with you. But you know, it's a challenge to me. Because I tell you, I really want to keep going and keep going close. I don't want to make more detours. detours. I've made too many. Let's, let's uh, ask him to help us. 
to walk close to him and close to each other. Let's rise up to be this mighty team. Thank you so much for bringing people today. Thank you for those of you who are here for the first time. We welcome you. We thank you that you're here. We just pray that we can see more and more women coming here week after week. We want to see God doing something here that's going to strike across this land and beyond. Are we up for it? Let's be ready because God can do what we would never imagine. He can do beyond anything we'd ask or think. Amen. Go in peace and we'll see you next week.